The Ford makes a throaty roar as she accelerates into a curve, swallowing the scratchy voices from the radio. I grasp the door handle with one hand and the seat with another. Budgie laughs again. Come on, honey. I don't want to miss the warm-ups. The boys get so serious once the game starts. Or something like that. The wind carries away two words out of three. I look out the side and watch the leaves hurry by, the height of the season, while Budgie chatters on about boys and football. As it turns out, we have missed the warm-ups, and most of the first quarter as well. The streets of Hanover are empty, the stadium entrance nearly deserted. A distant roar spills over the brick walls, atop the muffled notes of a brass band. Budgie pulls the car up front, on a grassy verge next to a sign that says no parking, and I struggle with my hat and pins. Here, let me do it. She takes the pins from my cold fingers, sticks them ruthlessly into my hat, and turns me around. There. You're so pretty, Lily. You know that, don't you? I don't know why the boys don't notice. Look, your cheeks are so pink. Aren't you glad we had the top down? I fill my lungs with the clean, golden-leaf New Hampshire air and tell her, yes, I'm glad we had the top down. Inside, the stands are packed, pouring over with people, like a concrete bowl with too much punch. I pause at the burst of noise and color as we emerge into the open, into the sudden deluge of humanity. But there's no hesitation in Budgie. She slings her arm around mine and drags me down the steps, across several rows, stepping over outstretched legs and leather shoes and peanut shells, excusing herself merrily. She knows exactly where she's going, as always. She grips my arm with a confident hand, tugging me in her wake, until a shouted, Budgie! Budgie burn! wafts over the infinite mass of checked caps and cloche hats. Budgie stops, angles her body just so, and raises her other arm in a dainty wave. I don't know these friends of hers, Dartmouth boys, I suppose, familiar to Budgie through some social channel or another. They aren't paying much attention to the game. They are festive, laughing, rowdy, throwing nuts at one another, and climbing over the rows. In 1931, two years after the stock crash, we are still merry. Panics happen, companies fail, but it's only a bump in the road, a temporary thing. The great engine coughs, it sputters, but it doesn't die. It will start roaring again soon. In 1931, we have no idea at all what lies ahead. They are boys, mostly. Budgie knows a lot of boys. A few of them have their girls nestled next to them, local girls and visiting girls. And these girls all cast looks of instinctive suspicion at Budgie. They take in her snug, dark green sweater, with its conspicuous letter D on the left breast, and her shining dark hair, and her Betty Boop face. They don't pay my pretty pink cheeks much attention at all. What did I miss? How's he doing? She demands, settling herself on the bench. Her eyes scan the field for her current boyfriend, the reason for our breakneck morning drive from Massachusetts, who plays back for Dartmouth. She met him over the summer, 
when he was staying with friends of ours at Seaview, as if Hollywood Central Casting had ordered her up the perfect co-star, his eyes a complimentary shade of summertime blue to her winter eyes. Graham Pendleton is tall, athletic, charming, glamorously handsome. He excels at all sports, even the ones he hasn't tried. I like him. You can't help but like Graham. He reminds me of a golden retriever, and who doesn't love a golden retriever? He's all right, I guess, says one of the boys. He seats himself on the bench next to Budgie, so close his leg touches hers and offers her a square of Hershey. Decent run in the last series, 11 yards. Budgie sucks the chocolate into her mouth and pats the narrow space on her other side. Sit next to me, Lily. I want you to see this. Look down at the field.